What would be the ingredients? What would be the mandatory elements in your life that you would say, hey, these here are examples of where I have success in our lives? Success is a topic that's often poorly defined, and a lot of the thoughts that we have can be how the world defines success. But we are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, amen? So we are going to define our success by how the Scriptures stipulate success is, amen? Do you also find that success can be elusive in your life? Do you struggle to understand where you're finding, where you're getting breakthroughs? Well, I want to take some time this evening to draw some encouragement, but also to help us to build some steady steps to success in the season of our life that we find ourselves in now. And I can think of the words in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. So let's take a moment and read that together. 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 6. Paul is speaking to Timothy, and he says the following words. In the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, and in the view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around a great number of teachers who will tell them what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths, but you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, and discharge the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time of my departure is near. So Paul here is acutely aware of the fact that his time on earth is coming to an end. And after Jesus, he probably had the most successful life. And therefore, he would be a great example for us to reflect on and consider this evening. And yet, in and through everything I've just shared, he doesn't reference any of his own personal preferences, any of his own needs, or any of his own challenges. His sole focus, his sole ambition is to hand over a legacy to his protege, Timothy. Can I encourage you to start our conversation this evening that we need people in our lives that want us to be successful. Amen. That will actually put effort, not just want us to be successful, but to show us how to be successful. And so here is a steady set of sequences that we can demonstrate in our lives to find success. There is no instant formula to success in our lives. So my question for you this evening is, what are you truly motivated for, or what are you truly motivated by? So here are three simple steps that you can implement in your life that will give you success as defined by God. Number one, preach. Do you know that you don't need to stand on a platform to preach the Word of God? Amen? You don't need to be ordained. You don't need theology degrees to preach the Word of God. Your workplace is your pulpit. Have you thought about that? Right where God has placed you is your pulpit for you to reach that community where God has placed you to be. 
And that's where you're going to make influence. It doesn't start by standing on a platform in a church building. We see it, and there's going to be times, guys, where we're going to preach the Word of God, and people are not going to like it. In Jeremiah 20, there's, there's, uh, Jeremiah proclaims God's Word for judgment. People didn't want to hear it. He says in ver- uh, Jeremiah 20, verses 7 through 9, I am ridiculed all day long. Everybody mocks me. Whenever I speak, I cry out, proclaiming destruction and violence. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. But I say, I will not mention his word or speak his name anymore. His word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it. Indeed, I cannot. Do you know when the Word of God is dwelling in you, there is nothing and no one, no force, no power, no authority that will ever stop you proclaiming the Word of God? Amen. Amen. The question is, friends, are we prepared to stand strong on that tonight in our lives? It's going to require a new level of bravery, a new level of boldness, and here's a thought. You're going to have to declare it whether people love it or hate it. God's Word is not on trial. God is not being appraised by the people in this world. We just need a firm conviction to declare it. If you know the great German reformer and theologian Martin Luther, he wrote 95 Thesis, nailed it to a wall in in a church in Germany in 1517, and he basically set about a huge reformation in the church. And his argument was largely based on the fact that, hey, the Roman Catholic Church was charging people for their sins and their indulgences, and he had an issue with it. He was once asked, how do you feel about all that you managed to achieve? Well, these were his words. I simply taught, preached, and wrote the Word of God down. Otherwise, I did nothing. The Word did it all. Those words echo what Paul says in Romans 1, verse 18, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. We're called to be faithful in preaching the Word of God. So I want you to take a moment to consider the pulpit that you have been given. Because that, friends, is where God wants you to make an influence. But... For us to preach the Word of God, we need to be able to demonstrate my second point. We need to be prepared. That's what he says there very clearly. Preach the Word. Be prepared. The automatic implication is that we're not ready. What's causing us not to be ready? What's stealing our focus? What's taking our time? When you're prepared you have a greater chance of success in any area of your life, with your finances, in your relationships, at work, in your career, in every area of your life, if you're prepared, it increases your chances of success. It doesn't guarantee it, but it certainly augments the possibility of success. And yet, we have the same opportunity in the Word of God. So good leaders, winners, are always prepared regardless of the season. You know that we set the spiritual tone, atmosphere, and temperature in every environment that we set our feet in. Can I get a strong amen in the house of God this evening? We don't measure the temperature. We don't take it. We set it. 
God has prepared us. The decisions now sit with us. What he means, Paul, when he says in and out of season, it's a really long way of saying when it's convenient, when it's not. That we don't get to pick and choose when we share the Word of God. We don't get to decide, oh, today I'm in the mood, tomorrow I might not be. It's a charge and a call for us to be consistent in in our lives. Essentially, this translates for Timothy and for us that we should always preach the Word of God whether we feel like it or not. Now, let's take a moment here and be realistic. How many of us can say that that is always easy? It's not always easy. Sometimes it's awkward. Sometimes it's challenging to preach the Word of God. But you know, we don't get to pick and choose. 1 Peter 3 verse 15 declares, But in your hearts honor Christ, the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for the reason, for the hope that is within you. But do this with gentleness and respect. We must lead from a deep conviction to preach the Word of God, regardless of whether or not we think people will listen. Have you ever shied away from preaching the Word of God because you've convinced yourself that they don't want to listen? I have. Awkward. But you know what's really going on? We don't have the boldness to proclaim it. And so what we do is we hedge it under, ah, they're not going to listen anyway, right? How do we know whether they are going to listen unless we take the time to tell them. I think about my own salvation, 19 years. In two weeks, I'll be saved 19 years, half my life. You do the maths. You know, now you know how old I am. The guy that led me to the Lord, he had no idea. In fact, I was not listening in those early days, but he persisted. But do you know what that produces? It produces success. I made a declaration of faith, and the rest is history, as they say. So we can't decide, well, they're not going to listen, therefore what's the point? Nobody did that with you, and you don't regret them sharing the gospel to you, amen? I've never met a Christian that's become a Christian and regretted being a Christian. And so why do we start automatically putting these limitations in our lives? Maybe, this is an awkward one, you wait for the perfect moment, a bit like me, always got an excuse, well, you know got to wait for the right time and speak to him at the right opportunity and just generate the right atmosphere. The perfect moment does not exist. Get that out of your mind. You know why? You're guaranteed to stay silent. And if you think about of your circle of friends, think about them now. Take a moment. Ask yourself when you're at dinner party, when you're out with them, you're not backwards and coming forwards in sharing which is the best football team in the country, what your political persuasions are, what other areas of life and discussions that emerge, you're always prepared to share. You're always prepared to offer your view, even if everyone contradicts you. So you sit in a room with your mates, who's better, Messi, Ronaldo? Oh my goodness, how many hours I've wasted on that one. It's Ronaldo, by the way, if you're wondering, yeah? Just, just, just to clarify. You can be with 10 of your friends and nine of them, 10 of them are saying it's messy. You say, Ronaldo, you're holding your ground. You've got no problem doing it in that environment. Why would you not do the same with the gospel? What causes us to recoil and retreat in that moment? And frankly, can I ask you, what is more important? 
winning a debate about whether Messi or Ronaldo is better, or leading your friends to Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 tells us, follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children, walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved you and gave himself up as a sweet fragrance and sacrifice to God. Wow. Other translations say, be imitators of Christ. And it makes me think of fancy dress parties. You know, when you're younger, you've got to dress up as your favorite superhero. Whoever dressed up the best always won the prize. I never won. Why? Because they looked most like Spider-Man, Superman, Batman, or whoever. For us to be the best representation of Christ, we've got to look as much like Christ and be and talk as much like Christ as possible so that they believe in who we say we believe in. Amen? But this is hard because we're struggling here. We've gone from having to be able to preach the word and man, this isn't sitting awkward with me. I don't have theology degrees. I don't, I'm not ordained. We talk ourselves out of not doing these things. Kind of debunk some of that tonight. Now I'm saying you've got to be prepared. But another thing that we have to consider, and this is something we all struggle with, is we need to demonstrate patience. Your translation in your scripture may say forbearance. First attribute of love described in 1 Corinthians 13, love is first patient. Before it can be kind, before it does not envy or boast or be jealous, it has to be patient. And that's what Paul is telling Timothy to be. He's showing him there's a few things that you'll need to do, but here are the thi- here's how you can do it. Be patient. So he tells him that you need to correct people. Oh boy, does anyone struggle with being corrected? Just me. Okay. Come on. Let's have some honesty in the house of God tonight. I tell you what, that is hard. When someone is telling you you're fundamentally wrong on something and you are convinced that you're right. But you know, in my, in my own journey, do you know I've learned something? If you cannot be uh, corrected without being offended, you're never going to grow in your spiritual walk with Jesus. Because the risk of offense is there. And therefore, Paul has already anticipated that by what he then says. You now need to rebuke. What does that look like? Well, let's take a moment to think about what being corrected is. Have you ever sat in a sermon and you think the pastor is talking to me, only me, me, myself, and I? He knows what I've been doing for the last week. He is just cutting straight to the chase. It is hard. In that moment, you feel like you're being corrected. Well, it's an opportunity in that moment to examine what's in your heart. You know that we're not always right in every area of our lives. That's hard to accept. There is going to be someone, always the Lord, that knows what we need better than we do. So we need to be open to being corrected. Then we need to be open to being rebuked. Now, rebuking is not being shouted at, by the way. The translation actually is that you move from being convinced, which is what being corrected is, and now you're actually being confronted. Conflict always reveals character. In any area of your life, the content of your heart is always exposed when there's a magnifying glass over it. 
and there's no hiding place, no extenuating circumstances. This is it. The rubber hits the road. Now you have to face what's in front of you. Can I tell you, get around some friends that will tell you what you need to hear and not what you want to hear. The people that tell you what you want to hear, they are not your friends. They do not want you to grow. Your true friends, people that really love you, will tell you the truth no matter how much it costs, no matter the risk to them or you, no matter how much it might hurt, no matter how much it might be offensive, embarrassing, awkward. They love you. They love you enough where you don't stay where you are. Thank God Jesus loves us enough not to leave us where we were and bring us to where we could be in Him. And that's clumsy for us because we're already struggling with the offense. Now you're telling me that I don't just need to change my thinking, I need to change my heart and my attitude. Man, this, this steps to success is hard. That's why I called it steady, because this is a process. This is not going to happen overnight. Amen? Amen? Every time we communicate, we reveal what's ultimately in our heart. But you know the Word of God is enough. So when somebody rebukes you, hopefully they have exposed or highlighted something that's going on in your life and then given the Word of God, not their own perception of what's going on, because the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. All you need is the Word of God, because that's truth. So if somebody sees something in my heart, something in my character that is in direct violation or competition to the Word of God, you have give me chapter and verse. I'm listening. But you start attacking me, you start challenging me in a way that isn't godly or healthy, people can get defensive. People can be offended. That's why Paul finishes this little part with an encourage. Amen. Does anybody need encouragement? We all need encouragement in the body of Christ. We all need to have a Barnabas spirit that brings and breathes encouragement into people's lives, even if things aren't going well. We can speak those things that are not as though they are. We've got to develop a heart posture where we comfort people, we encourage people, even in their sin, even when they're downtrodden, when they're battered by the circumstances of life. It is essentially the one anothering that we see all the way through the New Testament predominantly, where we actually stand with each other, affirm and encourage each other. Patience. Man, this is hard. Lord, give me patience. Now. <laughs> Doesn't work. Do you know, God is going to put you in situations where your last nerve is tested. Ever got those people at work? I don't in my workplace, obviously serving at KT. There is nobody in my workplace that burns my last nerve. But maybe for you out there tonight, maybe there's somebody in your workplace and they just know how to push your buttons. They just know how to be slack and sloppy in certain areas of your work relationship. And that is just testing you. Do you know what that is? That is God putting some things in your life to shape and mold your character so that you can better reflect the love of Jesus to that person. Amen? Some of us are not saying amen. I just want him out. I want her moved from my workplace. But you know, we need to be patient. We need to be patient with God. Our dreams, our desires, reaching people with the gospel, with each other. And when you think about patience, let's be real for a second. It is a quality that is not really honored in today's society. Everything is fast-paced. Everything is instant. 
You post, bang, straight to Twitter. You email, the PDF of the report is on your email. Everything is instant. We want instant answers to our prayers, instant decisions from our friends to know God, instant changes in our heart attitude, instant changes in our character, and yet I draw your attention back to the first attribute found in 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient. Aren't you filled with joy tonight that Jesus is patient with you? Have you ever had a habit after becoming a Christian? I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to go there tomorrow for the 50,000th time since you became a Christian. Aren't you thrilled that Jesus is still patient with us in our sin, in our weaknesses, in our frailties, because he wants us to succeed? Paul was faithful to the end, but then he decided in his heart that he knew that he wanted to hand over a legacy to Timothy, hence why he shared everything that he shared. So what am I essentially saying today? That we are all preaching the gospel, but my question is, what gospel are you preaching? Are you even aware of the pulpit that God has given you? Because you know we're called to be salt and light in the world. Jesus' public ministry started in Matthew 5 with the story of the Sermon on the Mount. We all know it well. But Matthew 5 verses 14 through 16 declares, you are the light of the world, a town built on a hill that cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. A sobering thought on this steady step to success. Do you know that everything that you say, everything that you do, every word, thought, action, and deed should strengthen and enhance God's reputation in the body of Christ and to the world outside? And that causes us to reflect in our lives. It shouldn't detract, it shouldn't diminish. So a simple thought, simple question if somebody observed your entire life for a week, would they believe in God from your words and your actions? That's a question for us. So I have one call, one commitment to us today. Paul's words to Timothy are as true for us today as they were for Timothy then. It brings conviction, it brings clarity for us as believers in 21st century Europe. Paul never wavered from his commitments. He didn't promote self-pity. He didn't play the victim with all that he had endured and encountered. He even knew that his death was imminent. And so what did he do? He learned to pass on everything that he had learned. Avoid these pitfalls. Demonstrate these qualities. And Timothy, you will have a successful life. A successful life, by the way, as stipulated by Scripture, not stipulated by how the world today tries to define it. But for that, it requires us to be, have wisdom, focus, and balance. So right where you are, you're a minister of the gospel. The ministers don't just stand on this platform. Amen? Which means that you almost always must have a deep conviction, not just in what we're communicating, but in how we are communicating. We must demonstrate conviction 
Because if I demonstrate conviction, I will gain your respect. I will gain your attention. You may even influence your life. But if I'm lacking compassion, nothing will change. Because passion, uh, compassion sorry, is a mandatory element for success. Now, I've got to confess, I'm someone who's results-driven. So I haven't always been the most compassionate person myself. And that's my weakness. That's my failure. But I can say this much. If you have conviction and compassion in taking these steps, you will make progress in your life. We need to strike a balance between those things. Put these three things into action in your life and you will find that you will make steady steps to success in your life. Because you know your success is not measured by how much money you bring in. Your title, your postcode of where you live, those are things that the world defines. Your success is defined essentially, are you in God's will for your life? Are you reflecting the love of Christ in every environment that you live in? And are you prepared to take God at his word? So if you can find ways of preaching, and you can be prepared in each and every moment and season of your life, and you're prepared to demonstrate patience on both sides of the equation, by the way, whether you're the person being corrected or you're the one doing the correcting, whether you're the one rebuking or the one receiving the rebuke, and you can find encouragement do you know you will find steady steps to success? This will build a platform from which you can grow spiritually.